we've been looking at the believer's authority. And so tonight we're going to continue on with that. And uh, you know, just, just something for you to be thinking about because summer actually is going to get here fairly quick. We have about two more weeks left on this lesson. And uh, so we'll uh, be doing something different for the rest of the uh, fall then. But I've just been thinking about this summer. I, you know, I, I just, I really wrestled, you know, because we basically call, call, call church off during the summer um, because of uh, the kids and different things that they're doing and so forth. And so as a rule, you know, when the kids get out of school, we, we no longer have Wednesday evening services until we start up again. And uh, so anyway, I, I've just been thinking about that. I'm just really wrestling with that. I'm always wrestling with that. I really like and I guess it's because I just need church more than some people do because it seems like once a week this is enough. But anyway, so I'm just, you know, just be praying about it, thinking about it, and I'll be seeking your counsel and will as we go along here. And you think just the adult church only? I'm thinking of just doing something for the adults. Because you know like that would be the outlook of the kids. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah, no, I know that. I know that that would affect certain things. Right. Except if your grandma, if your mother didn't come twice to send them to do what they Right, right. But, you know, just, just to be thinking. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, and, and it might be very few. I just. I always like if one shows up. And uh, so I'm just thinking about if we did do something like that, I'd probably do like a foundational thing. So just, just be thinking about it. And uh, we've got several weeks yet before we get to that point. And uh, we'll take it from there. So now we're looking at the League of Authority. Yeah, why don't you come over and join us? I mean, you know, those Becky Millers are so stuck up. And I know that because I married her. And uh, yeah, I heard that was pretty interesting at the shower up. Yeah. Three, yeah. Becky, three Beckys, which was pretty unusual, and two of them were Becky Millers. So, anyway, we're looking at one mediator. You know, last week we talked about a little bit about how um, when we begin to look at spiritual warfare in the scripture from the New Testament standpoint, we don't really have any example to follow in scripture. We don't see Jesus involved in spiritual warfare. We don't see his disciples involved in spiritual warfare. And I think a lot of times, um, even where intercessory prayer is concerned, I believe in prayer. Amen? I believe in prayer. I, I guess I but I believe in, in the importance of prayer. And, uh, but, you know, growing up or getting born again during the charismatic review, I guess I was pretty close to call it charismatic. But it, it, was, it was pretty radical. And a lot of it was because we didn't know it. And so everything that we learned was a lot of it was by um, experience, trial and error. And uh, you know we, we would look at different 
groups and follow the pattern um, naively, not looking to see how it's based on truth and so forth. And so I think what we see in the church uh, a lot of times are practices that aren't based on scripture. And so I, I really believe intercessory prayer is one of those things which goes in line with, with spiritual warfare. Um, because we, we come from a standpoint oftentimes that we're, we're fighting the devil to defeat the devil. He's defeated. You know, that's what we're celebrating this coming Sunday. Is you know we're 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 celebrating Jesus' victory, but we're we're also celebrating Satan's defeat. Say I'm a, I'm a Vikings fan, and so every Sunday I celebrate the Vikings' victories, and I celebrate Green Bay's defeats. Everyone just rejoice with, with every one of them. You know, I always say, you know, a good Saturday is Minnesota wins, Iowa State wins, you and I wins, and Iowa loses. I mean, that, that's a that's a glorious Saturday. And so I I, I I celebrate the victories, but we also celebrate defeats. But we gotta recognize that our enemy has been defeated. And so, <clears throat> I think I shared this on Sunday. If I didn't, I shared it sometime. Um, we're, we approach it from the position of victory. Every battle that we encounter, we approach it from the position of victory because this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so what Jesus has done for us has purchased for us the victory. And so that's where we approach it from. And so I want to look at a couple of examples out of the Old Testament where it talks about uh, we, that we have used, the church has used, for intercessory prayer and for spiritual warfare. And the reason that I want to look at it, you know, is because this is where we get a lot of the foundation that we use from. But you know, one of the key things that we have to do with Scripture is rightly divide it. And one of the key ways that we divide it is among, between the covenants. You know, what's the new covenant and what's the old covenant? You know, we're of the new covenant. The Hebrews, if you're reading through the Bible as I am, then you would have read in Hebrews uh, today, and you would have read where it says we have a have better a better covenant established on better promises. Now I'm from Minnesota, and so that means if we have a better covenant established on better promises, what we have is gooder than what they have. Ours is better. Ours is gooder. And so, but but oftentimes we don't we don't see it that. And so one of the reasons is we, we take scripture and we, we, we take and we try to apply what we see under the old covenant, we try to apply it in the new covenant. And it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And what happens is it brings a tremendous amount of confusion into our lives. 
because we're trying to gain something that at other times we hear already belongs to us. It doesn't belong to us just partially, just part of the time. It's always And so what happens is it begins to bring confusion. And so I'm not wanting to attack anything. But what I'm wanting to do is get rid of confusion in our life. You know, because confusion will keep us from walking in the victory that's truly ours. And so, uh, in Exodus, send your notes. Uh, but I want to read it out of my Bible. In Exodus 32, and we're going to begin reading in the 7th verse. And it says, you know, and this is right after the uh, children of Israel have, you know, got Aaron to make that calf that was their idol that they they worshipped and so forth. And Moses has just come down off the mountain. And so it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down. In other words, get down there. For your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molten image and worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, This is our God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I consume them. And I'll make you a view of great nation. And so he says, they're a stiff-necked people. Why are they a stiff-necked people? Because they were so stubborn. They were so set in the ways. And they were so set in the ways because, you know, we've got to remember, under the Old Covenant, in the New Testament, they weren't born again. They were spiritually dead. And so a lot of the things that we see in the Old Testament that, that just seems so harsh on God's part. You ever, you ever read through the Old Testament? And, or hear stories of the Old Testament? That, oh, that's, that's harsh. God is. He's tough. We've got to understand something. He had no other... They, they were not born again. He had no way to deal with them but through the flesh. And so he was harsh with their flesh. The reason that he was, was, you know, we, we've talked about how there's always been a remnant. Throughout all of history, there's always been a remnant of people that believe in God. And, you know, we look at the flood of Noah. And, uh, uh, you know, and we look at that as judgment. It was judgment. But it was more than judgment. It was mercy. It was grace. You say, how can a flood where all of humanity except for eight people were destroyed? How can that be? How can that be mercy? Because it says that but for Noah and his household, the knowledge of God was lost from the earth. What that basically means is that if God had waited another generation or two and not done anything, 
the knowledge of God would have been lost from the earth and there would not have been a remnant to bring salvation to. You know, when we celebrate Easter, we're, we're celebrating the fulfillment of a prophecy that was given by God to Adam and Eve when they were in the garden. When he spoke over Eve and, and said that he'll bruise his heel and that he's going to crush his head. He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah, coming to pay, paying the price for his sins, that he was going to be bruised. That crucifixion that he went through is referred to as being bruised. There's a whole lot more than that. But that's what it said. But he's going to crush his head. He's going to crush Satan's head. He's going to defeat him. And so that was prophetically looking forward, you know, how many thousand years down the road when Jesus was born. And so everything in the Old Testament pointed towards the coming of Jesus, towards his death, burial, and resurrection. So every one of the accounts that you see in the Old Testament, the root that's behind it is pointing to Jesus. And so the flood, the root behind it was pointing to Jesus so that the remnant would be lost, so that there would be an avenue by which the Messiah, the Savior, would come. And so why did God tell the children of Israel when they went into the Promised Land to uh, destroy the inhabitants? It wasn't because God hated them. Is because he knew the influence and the impact that they would have upon their life. And we see it over and over again. If you're reading through the Bible as I am in a year, you have just started Joshua. Or you have just completed Joshua and you begin reading Judges today. And in Judges, the talk begins to talk about how after the death of Joshua, they began to fall away. Why? Because of the, the influence of the inhabitants to which they didn't obey God and drive them out of the land, now they're beginning to have influence upon the children of Israel, and they're beginning to worship their gods and beginning to take their daughters as their wives and so forth, and they're being led completely astray. And so that's what we see throughout the Old Testament. And so here, God says, I just... Now listen to me. you got to remember, they have just come out of Egypt. They have just seen God perform miracles in Egypt. They, they, they saw the death of Pharaoh's son and others. They saw all of this. Then they came to the Red Sea and got crossed, divided the sea, so they were able to, well, I guess this was prior. No, this is after that. And so all of this, they've seen all this. But then Moses leaves for 40 days to go up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And they have Aaron build for them a God. That's how quickly man in his flesh would fall away from the things of God. Now in the New Testament, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, basically the epistles, everything in the epistles is looking back the completed works of Jesus. Now that's where we live. And so we're not trying to get what Jesus has already done for us. We are trying to appropriate it, receive it into our lives, but it's already been done. It's already, it's already been accomplished. And so here he says, you bunch of stiff-necked people. <clears throat> I've heard uh, New Testament prophets 
I've heard so-called New Testament prophets use this terminology. This terminology doesn't belong to the church. We are not a stiff-necked people. Why? Because we've been born again. We've been brought into the kingdom of God. We are spiritually alive. And so God doesn't deal with this as a bunch of reprobates. He doesn't deal with this as a bunch of fleshly individuals. We may allow the flesh to rule in our lives more than it ought to, but we are not fleshly. And so God, when He ministers to us, when He speaks to us, He speaks to us and He ministers to us spirit to spirit. That's why oftentimes we miss what God is wanting to tell us because we want to listen, we want to hear it in our in our mind, we want to see it in the flesh. But he he contacts us through the spirit. And so here God is again. It, kind of like in the days of Noah. He says, I'm just going to wipe out the whole bunch and start all over. <laughs> and uh, but Moses, this is where the intercession comes. They look at Moses. And Moses pleaded with God, with the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why, do you, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and great and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out of out of out to harm them, to kill them uh, in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. And so the Lord repent, re relented from the harm which he had said he would do to the people. And so this is used as an example for us to understand. Well, the promise has already been provided for us. We're already in that land of promise. You may not always realize that, but we are in the promise. You know, the children of Israel, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But it was never God's intent for them to wander in the wilderness. It was like a four or five days journey from Egypt into the promised land. They wanted in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because of God run away. Because they refused to accept what God said. God said, go in and possess the land. And they said, there's giants in the land. You can't do it. And so they didn't go in. But the thing I want us to see, and you've heard me say this before, God never brings us out without taking us in. His intention is always to take us in. So when we were born again, we were, we were taken out of the world. We're not, we may be in the world, but we're not of the world because we were taken out of that. We still live here, we function here, but we're, we're of another kingdom, we're of the kingdom of God. And so he brought us out, not to let us wander around in limbo and be lost, but he brought us out 
for the purpose of taking us in. That's why the message of grace, that's why this believer's authority is so very, very important to us. For us to understand what's really been made available to us so that we, we partake of it. So we don't, we don't sit out there and, and we're, oh my, oh my, oh my, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Not wondering about God, wondering whether He loves us, whether He cares for us, whether He's going to take care of us. No, we ought to know something. We ought to know that He is because we have the truths, we have His Word for each and every one of us. And so, this was used as intercession in the Old Testament. Moses was the mediator. A mediator is the in-between. Mediator is the one that, that stands in the gap. You know, in Job, it, it says that he had no umpire. You know, an umpire is a mediator. He's, he mediates between the two kings. So Moses was a mediator. He mediated between God and the children of Israel in the midst of their rebellion. And uh, I want us to see something. In 1 Timothy, oh, surprise, surprise. That's in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy, you know, I, I, I read the whole Bible because it's all relevant. Holy men of God's faith is that are moved by the Holy Ghost. It's relevant to you and I. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But there's portions of the Bible that were written specifically for us, and that's what the epistles are. And so in, in 1 Peter 2, remember what I said, Moses was the mediator. Moses was the in-between between God and the children of Israel. And so when the children of Israel had messed up, it was Moses that was the mediator, the in-between, that, that came to their defense. Now I want you to notice something. In 1 Timothy, the second chapter, the fifth verse, and it says, For there is one God. There are not multiple gods like some people want to try to convince you of. There's one God. And that, by the way, is a capital G. And so that's talking about Almighty God. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. And so we still need a mediator with God. One mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the mediator. There is no other mediator. But Jesus. Jesus is the in-between. Jesus is the one that we can always rely upon. Jesus is the one that said that we could ask the Father anything in His name and it would be granted to us. It was Jesus, the mediator, who gave us authority to uh, use His name, to cast out devils, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. That if we Drink anything deadly is not going to harm us. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for us. And so it really comes down to Jesus. And so, and, and, and the new covenant, 
the new covenant was made between God and God. Between God the Father and Jesus. It was Jesus' blood. The perfect sacrifice that was shed for our remission, for our sins, that they might be obliterated. That they might be taken away. You know, the book of Revelation talks about the Antichrist. When we, when we begin to think about Antichrist, uh, we think of that particular figure in the end times that's going to uh, reveal himself and he, he's going to be the Antichrist. But the Bible says that there are many Antichrists. And if you look at what Antichrist is, it, it, it's Antichrist or it's Anti-Jesus. It's anti the anointing. It's anti what Jesus has done for us. And so, anytime any religion comes against Christ, it's anti-Christ. Anytime the news media comes against Christ, that's the spirit of anti-Christ that's behind it. So, in our society, we see all, all sorts of anti-Christ out there. It's anti-anointing. It's anti- what Jesus has done for us. You see, the Bible says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You know, and so it's it's that anointing that's upon that word that brings freedom into our life. And so when somebody is anti that, they're against that, and we allow that to affect us, it keeps us from walking in the fullness what Jesus has made available to us. It keeps us keeps us in the dark. You know, that's where the enemy wants us. That's where society wants us. It wants us in the dark. But God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. And so when we get into the Word and we see Him, we begin to see things more clearly. We see things as we are. In Roman numeral 3 it says, through sin and unbelief, we're in the process of destroying ourselves. Through sin and unbelief. Well, you know, Pastor, I'm under grace, so I can do whatever I want. Well, we need to read the Bible. <laughs> Praise the Lord. See, sin. The consequence of sin, it, it always produces death. It, it, it brings destruction in one way or another. You know, and so we no longer, as born again believers, we don't, we no longer practice sin. That's what it's talking. About. It's talking about practicing sin. But that, that is once again our, our lifestyle. Our lifestyle is not sin. Do we mess up? I won't ask for a show of hands because somebody might raise their hand and I have to have a prayer line for liars. You know, and so we won't even go there. We've all sinned. Probably tonight we missed it one way or another. You know, and so that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it becoming our lifestyle once again. You know, when, when we looked at the children of Israel, why did, why did God say, I'm going to destroy them and I'm going to wipe them out. Because he, had, he didn't have the way to bring them 
to that, that place of repentance that we have. Repentance isn't, uh, you know, a lot of people think repentance is confessing all my sin and telling God how sorry I am. That's not repentance, that's being sorry. Being sorry doesn't necessarily mean that we change. This means that we're sorry and pathetic for them. Repentance may not have absolutely anything to do with sorrow. Repentance is based on a decision that I'm going to turn and I'm going to go in a whole new direction from what I've been going. Repentance always means a change in direction. And so, when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I repented from my old lifestyle. What does that mean? That means I turned from it. You know, I didn't, I didn't get everything taken care of at that moment. You know, basically what we do is we live a, we live a life of repentance. I see something in my life that I, that, well, that, that doesn't, that doesn't line up with what God's asked me to do. And so what I do, I turn. I make a decision to go in a, in a whole new direction. And so, uh, that's, that's the life that we live. And so here it says, it, it's interesting, it uses two words. It uses, in, in the notes, you have sin and you have unbelief. Well, how, how do they produce the same thing? Destruction. Well, unbelief is based on a choice. Let's talk about doubt and unbelief. Or, I talk about that. I don't want to But, we, we use it oftentimes in the same sentence, in the same context. But doubt and unbelief have totally different meanings behind them. Doubt is based on lack of information. Well, you know, Jesus died so that you might be saved. Well, I doubt that. And so somebody sits down with you and they explain the scriptures to you. They go through the scriptures. They share with you how if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. For by grace you can save through faith and not yourselves, but it's given to God. And God wants to save because He desires all of you saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And He demonstrated that He wants you saved by the fact that He sent Jesus, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so you hear that. And now you have to make a choice. Do I believe it? Or do I not believe it? See, now I have the information. And so now I have to, I have to make a choice. And that's how it is with everything along the line in our Christian walk. We may be ignorant, and I don't mean that in a, uh, in, in a um, insulting way. Ignorance just simply means that I don't have the information needed to know that. And so there's areas where we may be living a life of ignorance concerning the things of God. But you know, when the information comes to us, then it's our responsibility 
take the whole of that information and come to the conclusion, does that belong to me or does it not belong to me? Now, I'm of the persuasion of Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth says the Bible says it, I believe it, that says it. And so, when I see something in the scripture and uh, um, if the Bible says it, I believe it. And so then that means then uh, if my life doesn't line up with that, then it's up to me to make the decision that's necessary to change my life. The Bible says it. Okay. I choose to believe it. Because everything that we, we have in this book, believe it or not, comes down to a choice. You remember when, uh, we'll use the children of Israel because we've been talking about them and Moses. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt and, and uh, God wanted to send them in to the promised land. They're right on the border. They're right there. It's just across the way. There's the promised land. And, uh, and so God spoke to Moses and said, choose an individual from each of the tribes and send them in to spy out the land to see if the land isn't as I said it was. And then go possess it where I've given it. And so they chose the, uh, an individual from each of the tribes and they went in and spied out the land. And they came back. And, they, and the Bible says they came back with an evil report. They came back and they said, yes, it's a wonderful land. They, they brought a cluster of grapes and they, they had a carrot between two individuals. It was, it's a nice sized cluster of grapes. I mean, it was fruitful. It was a wonderful land. And so they said, it's, it's, it's a wonderful land. But, let me tell you something where the word of God was concerned. Get rid of those butts. Because they'll, 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 they'll mess you up every single time. Well, I know the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus I've been healed. But I know the Bible says that he'll supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But I've had people, I know the Bible says if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, I shall be saved. But Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Why? I don't. You don't know what I've done. And I ain't going to tell you. Why? Because it's none of your business. And I'm not going to ask you. Why? Because it's none of your business. None of my business. But what is my business is the fact that Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, ye shall be saved. And so when you get rid of the bots and you say, Jesus, I believe what your word says. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I receive you right now. I'm saved. Now I'm not saved for this moment. I'm saved for all eternity. The only way that I will lose my salvation is to reject him and say, Jesus, I want absolutely nothing to do with you. And we're all too smart for that. We'd never do that. You know, I was talking with somebody the other day and I says, you know, I don't want to 
be an internal security. Now, you may not know that, but what you, an internal security is once saved, always saved. That once you're saved, there's, there's absolutely no way for you to lose your salvation. I want to be that. Except for two scriptures, basically, that reveal to us that we can reject Him. That we're foolish if we do, but we can do that. You know, not, not only anybody get fearful because it's a whole lot harder to get unsaved than it is to get saved. You have to totally reject the Holy Spirit, the work of God in your life, and none of us are going to do that, so don't worry about that. Don't give it another thought. But we need to accept what the Word of God says and take it as truth. Well, so what happened? They came back. They, they brought the fruit of the land. But they said, but there's giants in the land. And when we looked upon those giants, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. Didn't say the giants saw them that way, but that's how they saw themselves. Been there, done that. Where I look at myself, and I don't look at myself according to the will of God. I look at myself according to my feelings, my emotions, how I think other people view me and see me. And you know what? Whether they do or not, it doesn't matter. That's how I see them see me. And that's the impact it has upon my life. Remember years back, we had a young guy living with us. He had been in trouble with different things. And so he had been staying with us. And every time we go someplace, he, he was convinced we spent the whole night talking. And so uh, we, we had gone someplace, we came home and then we were with a couple. And so he says, so, 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 so what are you talking about? And I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, you've got to understand something. <laughs> There's more important things in life than talking about you. You know, most people are paranoid. They think everybody's talking about them and about their problem, about their issue. Let me give you a clue. Most people are so concerned about themselves, they don't have time to think about you. Just a thought. But you know what? We, we, we use up a lot of energy concerned about things that don't ever... So, they, they come out and they, they, they see themselves as giants. So what did they do? God called it an evil one. But then he said concerning Caleb because Caleb was one of the spies. He said Caleb was of a different spirit. Because Caleb and Joshua said, let's possess the land. God said, we shall possess the land. Let's go in, let's take the land. But it was the minority report. You know, a lot of times in your life as a Christian, you're the minority. And especially when you begin to believe in faith, the truths and principles of God's Word. And so as you're, you're placed in a position, am I going to accept and go along with the majority? Or am I going to stand upon the minority, which is the will of God? And no matter what others say, no matter what others think, no matter what may happen, 
You know, as it says in Ephesians, when I've done all the stand, I'm going to stand. But how are we going to stand? We don't, we don't stand just simply on our own two feet. We've got to stand upon the truths of the Word of God. That's how we stand. And so, they chose the majority of the court. They didn't go in. They didn't possess the land. That was an interesting thing. Right after the fact, they realized that they'd made a mistake. And so they went in the next day, and they got defeated. Why? Because they didn't do it under the leading of God. They did it in their own strength and their own ability. It wasn't that God turned his back on them, as a lot of people would try to portray that as. They didn't, they didn't follow his leading when he wanted to lead. <clears throat> when the children of Israel went into the land of promise, you know, the, 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 the enemies were fearful of them. The reason that they were fearful, because they saw them as a great nation, but it wasn't just that. They knew that God was fighting the battles for them. Even though they didn't acknowledge God, they still knew that. And that's how it is for you and I. We may have to put some physical effort into it, but we're not fighting the battle. God fought the battle. The battle is already won. The battle belongs to us. You know, and because we, we do some things, we do some things that we, it, it sounds right. It looks right. You know, before we had this facility here, we were, we were believing for land and so on. I don't know, some of you will remember it, but, but I don't know if these young whippersnappers will remember it. But across the street from where my house is, where those condos are, there used to be a big, um, big apartment house. Remember that? It burnt down. And uh, so that was a vacant lot for a lot of years. And so uh, um, right across the street from us to, uh, to the south, that was a vacant lot. And so one Sunday morning, we we got done with our service up at the, the Civics Club, which is the old women's club. Uh, which we packed out, by the way. That's why we had to be in the building. We had people sitting all the way around that pool table in the middle of the room. You know. But anyway, after our service, we got up there because that, that land was going on our on a sheriff's auction. And so we got up there and uh, we marched around that land. Because the Bible says in Joshua, every place where your soul shall tread, I have given it to you. That's what God said to Joshua. And so if God said that to Joshua, it must be good enough for us. So we, we marched around that, that land and we, we claimed it. And uh, auction came up and we got it. Of course, then somebody paid the taxes and we didn't get it. But see, we took an Old Testament principle that God had given for a specific situation with Joshua, and we tried to claim it and use it as a New Testament principle. What belongs to me has been given to me by Almighty God. I don't have to go claim it because if God says that it's mine, it's mine. You know, and so if, if you're buying a home, you sense in your heart that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you that that 
belongs to you, you don't have to go march around it. Because if he's spoken that to your heart, then it's already said. I, I love this story. You know, because that was kind of the teaching uh, during the charismatic renewal there for a few years that, you know, you need to go out and claim those things and march around it and so forth. And so there's this story, it's a true story. This guy who owned a RV dealership. And one day he's sitting in his shed or whatever and looks out the window and this guy pulls up in his car and parks and gets out and starts walking around his RV. And the guy says, oh, I know he's So he goes out of the office and walks over to him and the guy standing in front of him. The guy starts walking around him. He says, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm claiming you as a customer. <laughs> anyway, I just love those moments. But see, we, we do those sorts of things. You know, it, it sounds really spiritual. But we don't need those physical things because we have the spiritual. We have God speaking to our hearts. And so, what happened to the children of Israel? Why did they wander in the wilderness for 40 years? Because of unbelief. Because they believed more what they saw with their physical eye than what God spoke to them. God said, go possess the land. You know, and so we need to look at it from the standpoint when God has spoken to us, we know what he's done for us. And when he's done it for us, we're going to we're going to stand for it. You know, we have another example in the Old Testament. We have the example of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It, it's in your notes and uh, for the sake of time I'm not going to read it. But you know the account how the angel of the Lord showed up uh, to Abraham. Abraham fixed the meal and everything for him. And the angel of the Lord says, how can I do that which I'm about to do without telling Abraham the friend of God? And so uh, he tells them what they're going to do. And Abraham knows that his, his nephew and his family are living there in Sodom. And so he says to, uh, to the angel of the Lord, he says, I don't want you to be angry with me, but, but what if there's there's 50 righteous people inside. And he said, I won't destroy it for 50 righteous. Then he said, suppose there's 40. He said, I won't destroy it for 40. And he takes it all the way down to the camp. And I think he probably stopped it because he was totally convinced there would be at least 10 righteous in, inside. But we know there was a lot his way and the two dollars. And uh, so, you know, we, we got him out of it. See, I, I think, this, this, this just, I don't, I don't have any biblical proof for this. And I was reading through that story, you know, and it says, go tell your sons and laws. Now, there, there's two ways that could be. That could be that um, his daughters were already betrothed to somebody or promised to somebody. Not married yet, but promised to them. 
surprised right. wondered if Lot didn't have more daughters that were already married that had been pulled away from him and what the ways of the world. I don't know. But I just wondered because of the fact that Abraham stopped at 10. You know, why didn't he go to 4? I think it's because he thought they were 10 men. And so anyway, so we, we know that the, the whole city was destroyed. But see, God would not destroy it. He said he would not destroy it for him. And uh, I, I'm not of a lot of the thought today concerning America that judgment is going to come down on America because I know that we have more than 10 righteous. We've got 10 righteous in this room tonight. You know, and so I don't I don't fear judgment. I believe all nations are going to be judged, but I'm going to be out of here through rapture. Well, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, if God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, then God has to judge the United States for abortion and other things. Well, there'll be judgment. It's not going to be while we're here. Because, because really, the only thing that's withholding judgment in the earth is the righteous. You know, once we're taken out, you, you think the earth is a pit now. You just wait for those seven years after we're, we're gone and uh, tribulation and so forth. We, we see all the stuff in tribulation, you know, but, but this world is going to be, it's going to be chaos. And of course, I agree with that. This time to drop the but that's, that's the world that we're in. But see, we don't have to fear it. And you see, again, they take us back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah is Old Testament. It's actually uh, before the, the covenant of the Old Covenant was, was made with Moses on the mount. But they, they, they take us back there and they, they, they bring fear in our life rather than looking at the God that we have that is a God of mercy, we have a God of grace, and uh, destruction isn't going to come against us. And so that's why I say once again, it's so important for us to rightly divide the word of truth to know where we are in the, well, in the whole scheme of you know, even, you know, Jesus is my example. Amen? But even the Gospels are still looking forward to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection until you get to the final chapters. The Epistles are where we live because that's what was written to us as believers. And so that's why it's so important for us to take those truths and those principles and apply them in our life. So is, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John not important? Oh, they're very important. Because we pattern our life after Jesus. Remember what Paul said. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As I, as I demonstrate Jesus. And Jesus... When he walked upon the earth, this is why we can follow his, his example. 
Jesus didn't do anything until after his, that we have recorded until after his baptism. And when he was baptized, he was also baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so after Jesus was, was baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's when the miracles, when everything began to take place in his life, that's what occurred. But you know, it's an interesting thing about Jesus. We don't find Jesus and fellowship with God. What do we see Jesus do? Jesus prayed. But how do we see Jesus pray? We see Jesus setting himself aside to pray with the Father. And out of his fellowship with the Father is the overflow into the ministry. You realize that ministry is always supposed to be an overflow. If it isn't, it drains us. You know, um, I, I, I'm always amazed at uh, individuals that, you know, after they, 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 when people I know, you know, that once, when, when they're done ministering, they're just totally spent. They go, go take a nap or something. I don't know, <clears throat> having four kids, the option of taking a nap after Sunday morning service is never available to me. You know, may have wanted to, but I, but I, but I never did. And I, I really believe that part of it was that the ministry, to me, has always been the overflow. If I've not spent time with, with God, <clears throat> I don't have anything to spare. You know, and so... You know, the fact that I spend time reading the Word and I spend time praying and so forth. You see, for the congregation, that isn't taken away from them. That's happened to them. Because then what's happening is I'm able to minister out of the overflow and it doesn't, doesn't drain me. You know, you remember my story when I was in Bible school and we had to do this outreach and I... I was working as a plumber for 40 to 50 hours a week and then went to Bible school three nights a week. I had to go to cell group one night a week. I had to go to church and our church services were long. You think ours is long, you don't know long. Ours were long. You know, and there, there's such a thing as, as a service taking a lot of time being really good, but then there's long. You know, so uh, <clears throat> ours were long. And uh, so, so anyway, uh, so I didn't have a lot of time, and so we had to do, Saturday mornings we had to do outreach ministries for four hours. And so that just took four more hours out of my day, and I, I finally approached my instructor and I said, you know, the greatest need that I have in my life right now is all of my studying is preparation for school. You know, I'm reading the scriptures and so on and so forth, but it's, it's preparing something. It's, you know, there, there's there's total difference between preparing something and personal edification. You know, that's why, um, you know, in the midst of all my preparation, I have my devotions. I Every day I have a devotion I read, I have scripture reading for personal edification. Because all of my study 
if I do that just to prepare for y'all, I'll, I'll burn out. I've been out of the ministry 35 years ago because we've got to be built up. So anyway, so I said, my greatest need is time with God. <laughs> I, just, I just don't have any time. So I said, this is what I, I propose. I'll take four hours on a Saturday morning. I'll lock myself in the bedroom. I will not let the kids in. I will not let my wife in. I'll lock myself up and I will pray and spend time in the Word for personal edification. And he paused and I he says, I'll do it with two conditions. Okay. So first, you can't tell anybody you don't want to do this. And number two is you have to pray, and you have to be quiet, and you have to listen, and then I want you to write down the word the Holy Spirit is telling you. And I mean, I have, by the end of the semester, I have a room full of stuff that I believe that he was telling me. A lot of it didn't seem very relevant. But you know, the interesting thing was, four or five years later when I was in the ministry, I saw the things that I prayed about coming about coming into manifestation. What's the point of all that? The point is, we're New Testament saints. We don't have to beg God to do anything. He wants to do it. But we need to be in a position where we know what He wants to do. You know, we see it in the Scripture, but then our spirit is to bear witness of, with it. That we know that by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. I can intellectually know it's got to get beyond my intellect. It's got to get down into my spirit where it comes out of me when the circumstance arises. I've got to know that my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Not just simply intellectually. I've got to know that. Because when I, when I know that, I begin to put in practice the principles that He's shown us in the world. You know, a lot of people aren't givers. They don't, they don't give because of fear. They're afraid that they're not going to have enough. But once we know that my God's going to supply all my needs, all at once to give, whether it be time, talent, and treasure, it's no longer an issue because I know that I'll always have more than enough because of the promise that's been given. But it, it covers every area of our life. But you know, it begins by recognizing my relationship that I have with God. And your relationship with God doesn't flow through me. You know, and that's where a lot of us got caught up. Even though we were in a New Testament church, they still practiced Old Testament principles. And in the, in the Old Testament, you had to have that priest, and that priest would represent you to God. Well, I hope you like me and you know when you need me you come to me and so forth, but you don't need to get to the Father. You 
because each and every one of us have immediate access to the Father. You need prayer in your life? I'm always willing and happy to pray for you. But you know what? You don't need me. You can believe for yourself, but you know what? Even after you pray for yourself, you can still come to me, and we can get in agreement with one another, because the Bible says, for two or three degrees touching anything, it shall be done for them. Notice the New Testament. It isn't begging God and trying to talk Him into doing something. It's recognizing what He's already done, and we get in agreement with Him. You know, the Bible says where two or three agree is touching anything. The first one we need to get in agreement with is God. Recognize what He wants for me. I want for We get in agreement. And then we bring others. And anyway, I did a lot of wandering tonight. So it was what I call a shotgun message. You know, you just shoot in the air and it splatters all over. But you know what? We're big shots. We're not like my grandson. I'm very moist. We should be done. But um, Isaac went from Turkey. And his depth perception is really great, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, and so he videoed that and put it on Facebook. And he's given the account of sneaking up on the turkey. And he shoots. And you can see the turkey in the distance going. It shook off all bees. Because <laughs> he was supposed to be within 40 yards, and he was about 80 yards. So, uh, anyway, I thought that was pretty good. So, so anyway, we're not doing anything to shake it off. Every big hit tonight in Jesus' name. So. Be blessed. Have a great evening.